Morning, brothers and sisters in Christ, let us come to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to worship you this morning in the sanctuary. As we come to the time of proclaiming your words, Lord, I pray that you will anoint my lips, help me to be the vessel to proclaim your words to my dear brothers and sisters, Lord. I pray that your name will be honoured as my brothers and sisters are edified. Lord, indeed, help us to have the wisdom to make decisions in our life. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. About two weeks ago, a good friend of ours called me in great distress, saying that she had been diagnosed with cancer of her mouth. So the doctor treating her told her that she needed a major surgery to treat that. Surgery that will go for 20 hours. So indeed, she was very frightened. Then, other doctors told her, why don't you go for radiotherapy instead? Why go for such a major surgery? And then her friends in Australia say, why don't you come, uh, come to Australia so that you can get the best treatment? So she was at a loss as to how to decide. Two years ago, when COVID-19 strikes, the church faced a major decision-making dilemma. Should we close the church, move everything online? Or should we continue open the church that anyone who wants to come to worship to come? Brothers and sisters, indeed, we all have to make decisions, minor or major. We all fear that a major decision that we make, if we make the wrong decision, it will have severe consequence. We may have to pay a heavy price for our wrong decision. So how does one make decision? Of course, we use our background knowledge, our experience, our age, uh, uh, our previous experience to help us to make the decision. The spiritual background of the person, whether he's a religious person, whether he's an atheist, will also make a difference as to how he or she will make the decision. The advice of people around us, our friends, our pastors, people who are close to us, can also give us opinion, and they will also influence the way we make decisions. In this day and age, with so much information available, with so much fake news around, indeed, it is difficult to know who and what to believe in. Even doctors are not very trustworthy nowadays, often. So as Christians, how do we make decisions? Of course, God bless us with a mind to think, to analyze for ourselves in different situations. But on top of that, as Christians, there are at least four main aspects that we need to consider before we make major decisions. The first one is the scripture guidance. Second, our prayer to God. Thirdly, the godly counsel that we need to receive before making a decision. And finally, the guidance of the Holy Spirit. The scripture is a lamb unto our feet and a light unto our path. Of course, if we walk in the dark, it is very easy to fall. We wouldn't know where or which direction to go to. But Psalms 119 told us the word of God is a lamb unto our feet. That is, of course, if you believe that the Bible is the word of God. 2 Timothy 3 verse 16 clearly tells us the scripture is God's breath and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, 
and training in righteousness. Of course, it is useful in helping us to make decisions. Anyway, the Bible is the ultimate standard bearer, our moral guidance when we have to make any decision. George Carver is a very prominent African-American scientist, an agricultural specialist with a lot of achievements, especially in agricultural field. He invented at least 300 uses for peanuts, the humble peanuts, 300 innovative uses for peanuts. So one day he was asked to address to a very powerful Washington committee to share with them what is the secret of his success. But he was told, you have 10 minutes to share your findings. After 10 minutes, he amazed them all, so much so that the chairman said, you can take as long as you want to tell us everything about your background knowledge. So after almost two hours, he really enthralled them. They were all amazed at his depth of knowledge. He openly said his achievements is because of his closeness to God. Then they asked him, where do you learn all these things about these little peanuts? He said, from an old book that you and I know, the old Bible. Then the chairman said, does the, peanut, does, does the Bible talk about peanuts? I've never seen the word peanut in the Bible. He said, no, but the Bible talks about the God who made the peanuts. I asked him what to do with the peanuts, and he did, brothers and sisters. Indeed, the Bible is full of wisdom. It is for us to tap into the Bible to know how to make decisions. Indeed, the Bible is the basis for which a lot of Western secular laws are based. A lot of the biblical principles are used in making secular laws. So when using the Bible to help us to make decisions, there are at least two main aspects. The first aspect is we have to know what is the general theme, what is the main theme of the Bible. And then there are specific teachings of the Bible with regard to different issues that we have to face. When Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? The Bible is so thick. What is the greatest commandment? Jesus said in Matthew 22, verse 37 to 39, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, also in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. And then second is this, to love your neighbour as yourself. Jesus indeed himself embodies unconditional love for his dying on the cross. So Jesus is love. And then the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20. The first four commandments is about honouring God, loving God. And the last six is about the way we should conduct our lives in relation to people around us. But basically, it boils down to loving God, loving men. So that is the overarching principle of the Bible. So when we have to make decisions, bear that in mind. Is our decision going to enhance love? Or is it going to hurt somebody? Make that at the back of our mind. Love should prevail when we make any major decision. Then, the Bible talks about a lot of issues, specific issues that we have to deal in our life and in the church. For example, if someone sins in our church, a glaring sin, how should we treat that? Should we tolerate it? Or should we confront that person? That is recorded in Matthew chapter 18. When people with homosexual background, if two of them want to marry in our church, what should our stance be? Would we agree or do we disagree? When people want to exercise the gift of the Holy Spirit speaking in tongues, do we allow it in church, in a public service like this? 
Paul taught very clearly in 1 Corinthians 14, yes, spiritual gifts are valuable. It can edify you. But when coming to speaking in tongues, unless your tongue is translated, your brothers and sisters around you will not understand what you are talking about. So it will not benefit them. So in public worship service, the priority is edifying the church in an orderly manner. Paul said it very clearly. And he said, I thank God that I speak more tongues than anyone. But in the church, I'd rather speak five intelligible words to instruct than to speak 10,000 tongues. Very clear teaching. A lot of people like to predict when is Christ going to come again. It happens again and again, and you will be surprised that people still entertain that idea, predicting when is the last day. Harold Camping is an American evangelist. He said after reading through the Bible, God revealed to him that Jesus will come again on the 21st of May, 2011, and even end of time at 6 p.m. At that time, at that hour. Brothers and sisters, what do you think of that? We can dismiss it immediately because Matthew 24, 36 clearly tells us about that day or hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So if anyone makes such a claim, he is claiming that he is higher than Jesus Christ. So a lot of things, we do not need to waste time, we do not need to waste energy at all. Just go back to the Bible to look for the teaching in the Bible. Jesus said, my sheep knows my voice. When, he, when my sheep hears me, they know that it is me talking to them. How can this be done? The requirement is that the sheep and the shepherd must share an intimate and experiential relationship. It means the sheep knows what the shepherd wants. For us, that means we have to know the Bible well so that we know what our Lord Jesus wants. So there is no other way but to treat the Bible as a treasure, to dig deeper and deeper to find the wisdom in the Bible. Important thing is, we do not do it the other way around. We have already made up our mind what we want to do, and then we go back to the Bible to look for supporting evidence to say that this is the will of God. This is how the Bible teaches. This is doing it the other way around. For example, when the COVID-19 vaccine comes out, a lot of people are reluctant to take the vaccination. Even till today, some churches even teach that you should not receive the vaccine because the vaccine is the mark of the beast. What beast? They say it points to the teaching in the Revelation saying that at the end time, Antichrist will come and the Antichrist will force everyone to have the mark of the beast on the forehead or on the arm with the letter triple six. Without that, you will not be able to trade, to sell or to buy. And they say, isn't that exactly what the COVID vaccine is doing for you? With that vaccination, only then you'll be allowed to go to the supermarket, you'll be allowed to travel. Without it, you will not be able to do all these things. So they say, this is the mark of the beast. Do not receive the vaccine. Brothers and sisters, that's misinterpreting the Bible. Indeed, we have to read the Bible with the guidance of the Holy Spirit, with a prayerful heart. There are a lot of experts, famous teachers from well-known universities teaching us how to read the Bible. 
They may know the Bible very well, the contents of the Bible, the background, the language, etc. But be careful. Sometimes they have the knowledge, but they do not know God. Recent years, there is the rise of this liberal theology. Basically, this school of thought says that with the advancement of scientific knowledge, with new discoveries, we should reassess the Bible. We should reinterpret the Bible in light of this new scientific knowledge. Basically saying, a lot of the miracles described in the Bible are not miracles. These are natural phenomena which can be explained through scientific way. Some of them even doubt that Jesus was conceived through the Holy Spirit. They doubt the miracles performed by Jesus, saying the miracle of, of feeding the 5,000 with two loaves, uh, with two fish and five loaves of bread is because after Jesus preaching, the people were so moved that they all take out their food, which they have hidden away before. So um, a commentator rightly says that after their criticism, the Bible becomes a mutilated book, a fallible book, no longer the authority that it should be. So brothers and sisters, indeed, dig into the Bible for the treasures, but we do it with a heart of humility, with guidance from the Holy Spirit and the right teachers. Next, we come to prayer. Prayer, of course, is crucial before we make any major decision. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, including before making decision, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And God promises us in verse 7, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and minds in Christ Jesus. When we talk about with prayer to guide our decision, there are at least two aspects also. The first type of prayer is the prayer before that particular event, the particular decision that we have to make, maybe even on the spot. And then the prayer in general that we pray normally on a day-to-day -day basis. The first one is about the prayer for a particular decision. The best example, the most critical prayer of all times is the prayer of Jesus the night before his betrayer. He was alone at the Garden of Gethsemane praying. He was struggling. He was in agony in his heart because he knows that the path he's going to travel is a very painful, it's a humiliating path. He needs the reassurance from the Father that this is the right decision to do. So Matthew 26 verse 39 says, Jesus prayed that, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from, my, pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. He prayed in earnesty, in agony, to the extent that his sweats on his forehead were like blood dripping onto the floor. So you can imagine how intense, how earnest was his prayer. And it's so important that he pray three times, saying the same thing. Eventually, he had the reaffirmation from the Father that this is the path that God wants him to travel. So from then on, Jesus decided to go onto the path of the Calvary resolutely, without hesitation, to die for you and for me. Brothers and sisters, the prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane is for you and I to emulate. Brothers and sisters, Whenever we face major, major decision-making, come to the Lord on our knees to pray. I can remember vividly, a few years ago, 
I was going to a medical mission in East Timor. I was running late, so I went back uh, to get my luggage to rush to the airport. But to my horror, as I opened the door, the key broke. This key broke into two. A hard, solid key broke. I did not know why and how, but it broke. So I could not get in. So I panicked. And, I, and, as, and like most people, I quickly called for human help. I called Dr. Simon Wong, say, I, I'm stuck outside. My key is broken. Please come to my house with spana, with screwdriver, or with a parang maybe, because we may have to uh, force into the, the, the house. Otherwise, you have to go alone. I can't go with you. So after I put on the phone, I realized that I haven't prayed. So I quickly asked in earnesty for God to open ways for me. Then there is a voice in my head saying, open again with this key. Then I thought, how can I do this? The key is broken. But anyway, since there is such an urge, I try to open the door again with this key. And amazingly, and with great gratitude to God, the door opened just like that. So I couldn't understand how it could happen. But anyway, my earnest prayer for decision-making was answered by God immediately. Brothers and sisters, indeed, dire situation, dire condition requires earnest, urgent prayer. And this broken key will remind me forever that we need to come to the Lord in prayer whenever we face major decisions to make. Then, in our daily prayer, we should ask God for wisdom. As what Solomon did, God asked him, you can ask me for anything. And he asked for wisdom. And God was very pleased with Solomon, saying, since you have asked for this and not for long life or wealth, or for the death of your enemies, but you ask for discernment, for justice, I will give you what you ask. I will give you a wise and discerning heart. And this is what Paul wants us to do also. Philippians 1, chapter, 9, uh, chapter 1, verse 9 to 10, saying this is his prayer, that your love may abound more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best. Love is important, but it must come with knowledge and discernment. Brothers and sisters, indeed, ask from the Lord wisdom and discernment every day in our prayer, so that in major and minor decisions, we can know that we have the guidance of God with His wisdom. The manner in which we made the decision is not that important. What is crucial is the prayer behind Going back to George Carver again, the agricultural scientist, he said you often go to sleep with no apparent, with apparently insoluble problem. Submitted to God in his prayer, then he woke up, the answer was there. God works in miraculous ways to answer our prayer. What is important is not the method of deciding, but the prayer behind it. We're all very familiar with Acts chapter 1, verse 26. When Judas betrayed Jesus, they need a new apostle. So there are two candidates, Matthias and Basabas. How do they choose? How do they decide? Then they cast lots. They cast lots and the lot fell to Matthias. So they decide Matthias is to replace Judas. Some people might say, for such an important decision to choose a new apostle, they cast lots to decide? Isn't that ridiculous? 
The method is not important. What is important is the prayer. Two verses before that, chapter 1, verse 24. Then they pray. Then they pray, asking, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen. That prayer is the crucial part, not the method that it is done. In our LCE LC meeting, often we have to decide a lot of issues. Sometimes, at the end, we have to vote. The voting itself is not important. What is important is the prayer, the prayer to guide us before the voting. Then we come to the advice of people around us, the opinions of other people telling us, helping us how to decide. King Uziah was one of the best kings of Judah. The Bible told us he sought the Lord, but that is when Prophet Zachariah was around. When Zachariah passed away, Uziah started to make mistakes. We all know that the mentorship of Paul for the young pastor, Timothy. Paul taught him a lot of things, taught him how to decide on a lot of issues. So these mentors, these spiritual leaders are very important in everyone's life. Some of us are blessed with prayer partners, with spiritual partners, so that when we have to make decisions, we have someone to help us to pray together and to decide. Brothers and sisters, we pray that God will provide us with such a mentor, a counsellor that can walk through life together with us. If you do not have, you can always approach the pastors, leaders of the church to get, to get help so that when you need to make major decisions, you are not alone. But what is important is we must make sure that the advice from people are credible. What is important is that their words has to be weighed against the Bible, the scripture. 1 Kings chapter 13 talk about a man of God who confronted the evil king Jeroboam. He prophesied that one day on the altar that you are sacrificing now, human bones will be burning on it. Bones of false priests that of course came through later on. But God used the man of God to talk to Jeroboam. Then Jeroboam invited him back to the palace to get some uh, hospitality. The man of God correctly said, the Lord commanded me that I must not eat bread or drink water or return by the way that I come. So I have to refuse you, although you invite me to the palace. That was the right decision because God told him clearly. Then an old man approached him say, I had a vision from God inviting you to go to my house to give you some food. The man of God said the same thing. I was told by the Lord that I should not eat bread or drink water in Bethel. That is the word of God. But the old man say, I also a prophet. I'm also a prophet just like you. And I have this revelation from God to invite you. Come. So eventually, the man of God went with this old man. Very sadly, at the end of the meal, the old man told him, you have defied God's word. You have gone against God's command for which you will die. So indeed, the man of God was killed by a lion later on. What is important is to realize that no matter how reliable a person is, humans are fallible. Humans cannot be completely trusted. Whatever people say must be weighed against the word of God. Acts chapter 17 verse 11 talk about Paul 
going from Thessalonica to Berea to preach to the people there. The Berean Jews accept the gospel eagerly, but they examine the scripture daily to see what if Paul said was true. In other words, they, they trust what Paul was saying, but they still want to measure his words against the Bible to see if what Paul said or what Paul preached is true. That is very important. Even for Paul, such a great preacher, the Berean Jews still go back to the Bible. And Matthew 7, verse 15 to 20, Jesus told us, watch out, watch out for false prophets. People may be saying very nice things, very sweet things, but watch out for prophets. They can be wolves in sheep skin. But you can recognize them. How can we recognize them? Jesus said, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Do they manifest the fruit of the Holy Spirit? If they don't, if they, what, what they say and what they add contradict each other, be very careful. They do not have the fruit of the Spirit. Sometimes, God used people to affirm our decision. Remember, Peter had a vision described in Acts chapter 10. He saw animals being lowered down from heaven, including the so-called unclean animals. He was called asked to kill those animals and eat them. But Peter said, these are unclean animals. What basically God wanted to show him was that the Gentiles also are in the salvation plan of God. That is a major a revolutionary change of concept for the Jews. So Peter must be in a daze, not sure what his vision was true or not. So God affirmed his vision by sending this Cornelius to Peter, invite Peter to his house to explain to Peter and other Gentiles around him that what his vision was. So to Peter, that indeed was the affirmation of God that his vision was true. So he has to decide to include the Gentiles in the salvation of God. Sometimes we don't go to people to help us to make decisions. People will come to us when they are called by God to reveal to us, to help us to affirm our decision. I was inviting one of the brothers to join our Chinese service committee next year for a certain ministry. He said, that's fine, but he has a lot of other burdens, a lot of other duties. So he's not sure what is the main priority that he need to focus on. He said, give me some time to pray about it. Eventually, he came to me and said, God gave him the answer that it is in this ministry that God wants him to do. Because a brother came to him, asking him to help to read through some articles that were going to publish in our 30th anniversary magazine. So to him, that indeed is God's calling him that this is the right decision to focus on this ministry next year affirming our decision through another person. Then we come to the Holy Spirit helping us to make decisions. I put the Holy Spirit last, not because it is the least important, but the Holy Spirit can work through a myriad of ways. The Holy Spirit can reveal to us through the scripture, through our prayer. It can directly reveal to us. The Holy Spirit can work, talk to us through other believers to help us to make decision. But what is important is who the Holy Spirit is. Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse 13, that when the Spirit of truth comes, He will lead you into all truth. He will not speak His own words, 
but he will speak only what he hears and will tell you what is to come. So the spirit of truth will guide us in our decision-making. The Holy Spirit can reveal directly for us to make a decision. For example, the Holy Spirit forbade Paul to go to preach in Asia and Bithynia. No reason given, but the Holy Spirit directly intervened to stop them going. And then in chapter 13, verse 4, Paul and Barnabas were sent forth by the Holy Spirit. So they went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyrus, etc. So the Holy Spirit can reveal to us directly to help us to make decisions. Does it still happen today? Yes, it does. Captain Mafela is a captain of the Batek airline in Indonesia. You may remember, remember in the year 2018, in September, there was a major earthquake with tsunami in the island of Sulawesi in Indonesia. So Captain Mafela gave the testimony in Jakarta later on, that on that day, he was flying to Jakarta, but he has to go through an airport at Palu in Sulawesi. So he said that day, his heart was restless. For some reason, his heart was restless. He did not know why. So instead of humming spiritual songs as he did normally, he felt the need to sing out gospel songs loudly to the amusement of his co-pilot, who is a Muslim. Anyway, when the plane landed at Palu, he said he had an urging from the Holy Spirit, asking him to take off faster, to go to Jakarta faster. So he told the airline crew, come back quickly, do not waste time. So indeed, they departed three minutes ahead of time. That three minutes earlier departure saved the whole plane at the urging of the Holy Spirit. Because as the, air, uh, as the airplane took off, they can see the runway starting to, to melt away. The earthquake has come. So if they were late by three minutes, the whole plane would have been buried inside the earthquake. So he gave the testimony that the direct urging of the Holy Spirit saved not only himself, but also the whole plane of 147 passengers, including his co-pilot, who is a Muslim, who was with him when he made the testimony later on. Indeed, many people died during that episode of uh, tsunami in 2018. God can reveal to us through the Holy Spirit, through dreams. That is what he did to Joseph, the father of Jesus. Joseph was going to divorce Mary because she was pregnant with a son before she was married. But the Holy Spirit revealed to him that this is from the Holy Spirit. Take Mary as your wife. Later on, there were other, two other dreams described in Matthew chapter 2. The Holy Spirit urged him to go to Egypt to escape from Herod. And eventually when Herod died, in dreams again, the Holy Spirit asked him to go back to Israel. The Holy Spirit re revealing to us through dreams. Also, the Holy Spirit can guide us through the scripture, as we said. We may have read through a certain passage, a certain sentence, many times before. But sometimes, when we have to make major decisions, suddenly, that passage, that chapter, or even that word, suddenly has a special meaning for us. It's a bit like the words of, in the Bible coming alive to reveal to us through the Holy Spirit. Through our prayer, the Holy Spirit can talk to us, even during our prayer. 
Holy Spirit can reveal to us through other people, just like the Holy Spirit asked Cornelius to affirm to Peter that his vision is indeed true. Brothers and sisters, what is difficult, what is sometimes uncertain is whether the voice in our head telling us to do something is our own idea or whether it's the Holy Spirit guiding us. Remember Jesus says, my sheep knows my voice. So we have to be spiritually sensitive to know that this is the voice of God, this is the voice of the Holy Spirit and not our own imagination or not our own will. 1 Kings chapter 22 is a very interesting chapter talking about the evil king Ahab. He wants to conquer Ramoth Gilead of Kim Aram. So he invites Jehoshaphat to go together with him to conquer this uh, country. He said, we are brothers, let's go together to conquer. Jehoshaphat said, okay, but I want to be sure, before I made the decision, I want to be sure that this is the calling of God. So Ahab said, okay, I have 400 prophets here. Let them tell us whether this is the right thing to do. So all the 400 prophets say, go. The battle is for you to claim. You will be victorious. Interestingly, Jehoshaphat said, is there no longer a prophet of the Lord here that we can inquire of? So Ahab said, what sort of command is that? There are 400 of them here. They all said it, go. And now you're asking, is there a prophet? Brothers and sisters, the difference is Jehoshaphat can sense that all these 400 prophets are false prophets. What they said are not true. He can sense it. So he asked for a real prophet to speak to them. So Ahab has no choice but to ask for the prophet Micaiah to reveal to them. Eventually, of course, Micaiah said the opposite thing, that they will lose the battle if they were to go ahead. Brothers and sisters, are we spiritually sensitive enough to recognize the voice of God? Is it the Holy Spirit guiding us? We have to see whether our decision will enhance the fruit of the Spirit. As in Galatians 5.22, is our decision going to enhance love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? Or it will not bring out any of these aspects? Then be very careful that that may not be the voice of God talking to us. Is the voice telling us to do something? Is it contradicting the scripture? Saying exactly opposite of what the scripture is saying? Then quickly dismiss the idea because that is not from God. Sometimes, if we are not in a hurry to make the decision, we do not have to make it immediately. Sometimes give it a bit of time for the event to, to unfold because things will declare itself later on. Look at Jeremiah in chapter 28. At that time, Jeremiah and Hananiah had an opposite message for the people of, of Israelites who are in exile in Babylon. The revelation from God to Jeremiah is that ask the people to submit to the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, so that they can live a quiet life in the land of captivity. But this prophet called Hananiah had the opposite message. He said, you can go against the Babylonian king because very soon the yoke will be broken. You will be returning to your homeland. If you are the Israelites then, 
Of course, you like to hear the good news, won't you? Jeremiah did not immediately say that this is, this is uh, false news, but he made a comment saying, the prophet who prophesies peace will be recognized as one truly sent by the Lord only if the predictions come true in verse 9. Indeed, we need time. We need time for that to evolve. And we were told in verse 11, at that, Jeremiah went away. In other words, he did not make a decision telling the people that reject this prophet. He let time pass by before making a final decision. Later on, God revealed to Jeremiah that indeed, this Hananiah is a false prophet. Then he returned to confront Hananiah, saying, the Lord has not sent you, and yet you have persuaded the nation to trust in lies. So brothers and sisters, give some time for the event to unfold sometimes, and things will become clearer later on. If we make a rash decision, sometimes it is irreversible. And it takes time for a lot of things to happen. And Jesus said, as he said, wash out for false prophets by their fruits, you can recognize them. But it takes time for you to see whether they have fruit in their life. So do not rush into decision unless it is really urgent. What is important is we do not abuse the name of the Holy Spirit. We made our own decision, but we want to justify it by saying, ah, this is God leading me. This is the Holy Spirit telling me what to do. There used to be a brother in our, in our church in overseas. Every now and then he would say, I have a dream last night. This is God, what God wants the church to do. Do this, do that. Then you often wonder whether it is his own will or it is really the will of God. So what can we do? Sometimes we just have to sit tight and see whatever he says comes through or not. Often it doesn't. So give time a bit of space to work through things. Going back to Ahab and Jehoshaphat. So after Micaiah predicted that they would lose the battle if they were to attack Ramoth Gilead, then Ahab became angry and told Jehoshaphat, didn't I tell you that he never prophesies anything good about me but only bad? He only had bad news for me. How do you think of what Ahab was saying? Isn't that interesting? Is he, is he really genuinely interested in what the prophet says? Or he only wants to hear good news? He already made up his mind that he wants to attack Ramoth Gilead. He just wants the blessing of the prophet to justify saying that this is the will of God. Brothers and sisters, we should not make the same mistake. Do not make our own decision as if it is decision from the Lord telling us what to do. At times, despite our best intention, despite submitting to the Lord in prayer, despite reading through the scriptures, despite godly advice from people, at the end, sometimes we have to agree to disagree. Just like what happened to Paul and Barnabas as described in Acts 5, verse 36 to 41. At that time, they were going for a uh, mission trip. Paul did not want to bring Mark, also called John, for this trip because previously Mark had abandoned them halfway. So Paul thought that it's not a good idea to bring Mark alone this time. But Barnabas wanted Mark to go. So at the end, these two spiritual giants disagree as to what to do. So what happened? 
they have to part ways. They go their own separate ways. Paul took Silas and went. And Barnabas went with Mark. Even spiritual, spiritually mature people like Paul and Barnabas sometimes have to agree to disagree. At the end, what happened? God blessed them both. God used them in different ways to advance his kingdom. And it's indeed very, very uh, grateful. We are grateful to God that despite the difference in opinion, Paul and Mark reconciled. 2 Timothy 4.11, Paul say, Mark was helpful to him in his ministry. So there was no bad blood between them despite this disagreement. A few years ago, the English District Conference was in formation. This is a conference joining together all the English-speaking churches. Trinity Methodist Church, being the biggest English-speaking church, of course, was expected to join and maybe to take the lead. So a lot of English-speaking churches, English churches wanted Trinity to join. But the structure of Trinity is such that we are unique. We are three different congregations speaking different languages, worshipping under one roof. God has blessed us with a beautiful coexistence for many years. So if we were to join EDC, this structure would be broken. The Administrative-wise, and in a, a lot of our serving, for example, in the uh, works of mercy, such as elder care, it is three congregations working together. So if we were to join EDC, there will be a lot of disruption. So after much prayer, after much discussion, after much searching through the scripture, eventually we have to decide to withhold the decision, withhold joining the EDC. So is that the right decision, brothers and sisters? More than two years have passed. God has blessed EDC. God has also blessed TMC using different platforms to achieve different things. Of course, this is not to say that EDC does not have its problem now, and that is not to say that Trinity doesn't have our challenges. But God, in His mercy, enables us to progress, to go in different platforms, despite the disagreement. So sometimes, God does allow disagreement to happen, but we must submit ourselves to God for His guidance. Trevor Hudson correctly says, our responses to those critical times of decision shaped our lives and made us who we are. Indeed, brothers and sisters, it is indeed hard to make hard decisions, but those decisions have to be made. God gives us a mind to think, to analyse things. We should not be lazy and say, we just submit it to God. I don't want to think about it. God wants us to use our brain, to use our knowledge, our background to think before we decide. But we must be guided by God. In godly counsel, through the Holy Spirit, through the reading of the scriptures, and by earnest prayer. Let us pray. Dear Father, we thank you for your words revealed to us. Thank you that although we have to make a lot of difficult decisions in our life, you are there to guide us. You are there to open ways and to close ways for us so that we know the right path to choose. Father, indeed, we pray for wisdom. We pray for discernment from you in our life that indeed the decisions we make are pleasing and acceptable to you. We ask this in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
Amen.